If you did not know what that first thing was, those were football plays. And this is football season, but it's also other types of sports, and there will be sports going on all year. And coaches spend hours developing a game plan. A game plan, very simply, is a strategy trying to figure out how to outscore the, uh, the opposition, how to win. And you need a game plan for life. You need a, a game plan for your academics. You need a game plan for your finances. That's why so many people are in trouble financially. They just spend and spend and spend and don't know what happens to it. You, you need a strategy for that. You need a strategy, a game plan for your marriage and, and for your life. And this morning in Philippians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, if you don't, they'll be on the screens. But Philippians chapter 4 We are beginning a sermon series. We're titling a game plan for life, a a game plan from God to you and me on how to do life effectively and how to do it well. Let me give you a a little history on the book of Philippians. It's a sweet, sweet, beautiful little book, four chapters. We believe God wrote this through Paul. Paul had been in the city of Philippi uh, 10 years before this letter. This letter was probably written 25 or 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul is in prison in Rome right now as he's writing back. I want to show you on a map where ancient Philippi was. Philippi doesn't exist anymore, but this is Greece right in here. That's Thessalonica. They call it Thessaloniki today. And Philippi was right here, so this was, this was uh, ancient Macedonian. Philippi was named after Philip II, who was Alexander the Great's father. It's a great city with a great history. And in this book, particularly in this chapter 4, he lays out a series of instructions on things that really will help us live life effectively and well. And the first thing we're going to see in this series this morning is this. We need to get along with other people. And I'll just start at this. All of us have struggles here. You do. You have struggles getting along with people. I have struggles getting along with people. And it's because there's so many morons in our lives, correct? I mean, that helps you feel it. When you think about it that way, you feel better. Uh, In verse 2, let me get my glasses on or I'll have to paraphrase the whole sermon, which you probably would like better anyway. But it says, now I appeal to you, Euodia. Someone said with a name like that, no wonder she was having people problems. And Sintika, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreements. These are two Greek names. Philippi was a Roman province. These were Greek people. It's funny, the name Sintika literally means a pleasant acquaintance, but it's obvious she was not being too pleasant of an acquaintance at this particular time in their lives. One thing we know about these people is these were people, these two ladies were were apparently, at least at one time, devout Christians. Look in verse 3, and I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women get along. For they worked hard with me. The word worked hard or that phrase worked hard was an athletic picture. Paul often spoke in athletic illustrations or terms. And it's the picture of the runner stretching for the tape or the swimmer reaching to touch the wall first or the, the ball carrier straining to get to the goal line or the cheerleader stretching to the top to cheer her team. In, in other words, Paul was saying... Euodia and Sintika, these were people who struggled for the cause of Christ. These were workers in the church. These weren't loafers. These weren't just critics. These were people who poured out blood and sweat and tears for the cause. Looking again in verse 3, 
to help these women, for they worked hard. They struggled with me telling the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. A little interesting tidbit. Later on, there became a very famous Clement who was the first bishop or a primary bishop leader of the church in Rome. We don't know if it was this Clement or not because it was a common name, but it's interesting. And you see there written in the book, the word book has a great historical context. It literally meant a registry, and and the Roman people were very meticulous, like the United States government tries to be, to register people. If you lived in a city, uh, you were in that registry. It was probably done by by the the dad. So let's say it was Josh. Josh Sanderson's name would be in that registry. Then they would have Janelle as his wife. Then back then, he would have three or four concubines. That's legal chicks on the side that would have their names, and, and and then Janelle would kill him, and he would be no longer. And... And then it would have his kids. And so the Romans had a list of who all belonged in certain areas. The book of life is God's book. It's his registry. And the book of life is a biblical term for the names of people who belong to Jesus Christ. In Revelation 2015, it's said in a not-so-positive way, anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. How many of you want your name in the book of life? If only if you're intelligent do you want your name in the book of life. Now, does God have a, a hardback book with pages or a leather book with pages? I think it may be an iPad. God's probably an Apple guy. Wouldn't you agree with that? You Apple people that he can just click through it. I don't know what it is, but I know this. God has a list. God has a list with the names of people who belong to him. And here's what Paul was saying about these ladies. These ladies who couldn't get along. He was saying, these are people who belong to Jesus. These are are true Christians. These are people in their past who have been laborers and workers for the cause of Christ. But now they're going to live in infamy in the Bible (laughs) because they were arguing and couldn't get along. And I'm sharing that with you to say this. If it can happen to them, it happens to you and me too. We struggle with people. John Adams was the second president of the United States. We have a picture of Brother John here. He needed a toupee, but who am I to talk? Uh, the The third president was Thomas Jefferson. These were very intellectual men, very intelligent men. Both of them signed the Declaration of Independence, and for years they were very close friends, but something happened around the year 1800, and they had a tiff. It was politics. It was social. Both of them felt like they'd stuck the other one in the back, and so for years they wouldn't speak. They had no contact. They, They had a bitter bitter feud in between them. If that can happen to these two women who apparently at one time were godly church-serving working women, if it could happen to Adams and Jefferson, it can happen to you and me. We're going to have struggles with other people. True story in Utah, 2011, a man was duck hunting. I think he was duck hunting by himself, which I, that seems odd to me, but he, uh, he, he pulled over near the shallow part of the lake where he was, and he got out to, to kind of pull the boat into the marsh. And when he did, he saw out of the corner of his eye, his dog jumped and hit the shotgun. His shotgun goes off. It puts 27 shotgun pellets in his backside. You know, everybody goes, oh. And he, he ended up being okay, which is great. He called an ambulance. They came out there. The sheriff came out there. They investigated. Uh, and they decided not to press charges on the dog. The dog wasn't talking or anything, of course. And, and, and you know, it, the moral of the story is if your best friend, your dog will shoot you in the rear with a shotgun, you're going to have struggle with people. Amen? That's the truth. 
Now, let me, let me bring this home to you, though. This is such a crucial area. This is such a crucial area of your life. You want a strategy for your life that's going to work? God's book's the place to start. And getting along with other people or not getting along is so fundamental to everything. In verse 2, I appeal, some translation says, I entreat you I, to appeal to you, Odian, Santika, please, because you belong to the Lord. Man, tell them to get along. Here's what, here's what Paul's saying. I'm going to paraphrase it. Come on, girls. Church, help these people get along. This is going to cause all kinds of problems. Well, this is not real spiritual. Nothing's more spiritual after your relationship with God than your relationship with people. And when we don't get along with people, we aren't right with God. Period. Let me tell you how this affects us. When we constantly have friction with other people, number one, it affects your well-being. It it affects your well-being. It's just crucial to to you. Your well-being is at stake. What do I mean by that? I mean your spiritual life, your psychological life, even your health. I, I saw two studies this week. Time Magazine put out a study in August of 2011. It was from Tel Aviv University in Tel Aviv, Israel. And what they did from 1988 to 2008, they followed hundreds of workers. I mean, they had all this figured out. And they they studied how their work life affected their health. And at the end of the 20-year study, of course, a number of those people had already died. What they found out with is people who had troubles at work. Now, it's interesting. It wasn't boss to employee or employee to boss. It was primarily employee to employee. The ones who had the most relationship problems were twice as likely to be dead as those who had good relationships. In the Atlantic Magazine in 2014, they had an article from a Danish study. Danish people had studied uh, a massive study of individuals and how we interact with other people, here's what they found out. People who live in conflict with other people, who don't learn how to get along with other people, die, have a a chance of dying earlier, twice at the rate of those who get along. So in other words, I'm telling you this, you don't get it right, we may be doing your funeral soon. But but, but seriously, it's going to bring you depression, it's going to cause anxiety, it's going to cause you internal issues. It's going to cause you spiritual issues, and if you believe the facts, it may even cost you your life earlier. Here's the second thing. The well-being of many areas of your life is at stake. See, it doesn't just affect you. When you don't get along with other people, you can't get along with people, you struggle in your relationships, it affects everything in your life. Again, verse 2, I appeal to you, Oda and Santika, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreements. Okay, if you're not a Christian, you just bear with me for a minute because I'm going to talk to the Christians. The church was being messed up by these women misbehaving. I'm not picking on women. After the first service, I had a couple of men come by and go, it was them women causing problems in the church. Well, men have caused plenty of problems through the years, I promise. We can find them in the Bible too. It was funny though. Uh, Of course, they said that their wives were like 15 feet behind them and couldn't hear it. But... Philippi was a sweet church, a peaceful church. And these ladies' problem was, was upsetting the health of the church. Perry pastored for years. Perry, you started pastoring right after the Civil War, didn't you? Pretty close. 
I've been pastoring for 30 years this October. I started pastoring when I was five. I was really young, but I was mature. Listen, what threatens the church, it's it's not what's outside, it's what's inside. Listen, if if you can't get along, we want to help you find another church where you'll be happy because we want to be peaceful here. It affects the church. But Okay, now let's go back to everybody. Say you're not a Christian, you're not into the church. You don't get along with people, your family's going to be a mess. Your marriage is going to be a mess. Your relationship with your kids is going to be a mess. Your team is never going to be uh, what it could be if it's not unified and it's not together. Your living situation, how terrible it is to have a roommate or roommates that you can't get along with. It affects everything in your life. Every area of your life and my life is affected when our relationships are not positive. I I read this this week, and it's so good. Here's what happens in a church, in a family, uh, at a workplace. When when conflict starts, people start taking sides. They start taking sides. Things get exaggerated. What was really happened two months later is way out of proportion. The truth gets shaded, and then you start impugning people's motives and their character. See, it affects everything in our lives. And and thirdly, again, I'm going to go back to the Christians for a second. The name of Christ is at stake. The name of Jesus Christ is at stake. I won't read verse 2 again, but that's fundamentally what he's saying to them. These ladies had been, they, they were Christians. They weren't posers. They were Christians. They'd been leaders in the church. They had been, uh, workers for God and workers for Paul. They may have at one time really been super spiritual, godly people, but right now they're messed up and the name of Christ is at stake. Listen, Christian people, when you and I can't get along, whoa, whoa, you may be right. You may win. You're competitive. You've got to beat all your friends and beat them down and you've always got to have the answer. That's cool. You're going to push your kids away from Christ. You're going to push your friends away from Christ. You're going to hurt the name of Jesus Christ. You see, why getting along is so huge is ultimately the name of Jesus gets splattered when we don't get along. So let's answer this question this morning. How does God lay this out? How do we get along with people? Because if nothing's more important for a Christian than their relationship with God and then their relationship with people, then this is huge. Again, if you're not a Christian, you're not even interested in God, this is huge for your life. How do we get along? Let me give you a couple of thoughts. Number one, get help from others if you need to. Get other people to help you. In verse 3, I think it's neat, ask my true partner to help these women. We don't know who his true partner was. Maybe it was Epaphras. He was the man that that Paul, who's at prison in Rome, gave the letter to, to take to the church in Philippi. They didn't have UPS or FedEx. He just had to give it to this guy to, to uh, get in a boat and get on a donkey and get the letter to him. But we don't know. But he says, get somebody to bring aid and help to these ladies. Folks, I, I want to encourage you, if you're having trouble with your roommate you're having trouble in your marriage, if you're having trouble with other people, period, you're having problems at church or at work, and it's not getting resolved, we've got a great counselor on staff, Brandon. Come see Brandon. Come see one of our ministers. Buy some books on relationships, but humble yourself enough that you're willing to get other people involved to help you. I think it's neat in the Bible when you have these two ladies warring, that God didn't just say, tell them to pray and get right. 
He said, hey, one of the things we can do is we can get some people involved to help them. Get others to help you. Here's another thing, and this is a harder thing. Forgive. you got to forgive. How are you going to get along with other people if you can't forgive people? By the way, Christian, how do you think you'll ever be right with God if you don't forgive people? You, you won't be. You can't be. It's impossible. How many of you know who Jean-Claude Juncker is? Anybody know that name? It's not somebody that lives in Chudron or Dubach or... He is the president of the European Commission. It was funny, in the first service, nobody knew who he was either. It's a very powerful person, and he's the president of the European Commission. He's been a big politician in Europe for years and years and years. Listen to what he admitted to in the paper last month. For 30 years, he says he has kept a book on him. He calls it his little book. He has a funny name for it. And in that book are the names of people over the last 30 years who've offended him, hurt him, or done him wrong. In other words, if I get mad at Corey, Corey, if you see me pulling out a little book and writing your name in it, that's my little book. Jean-Claude, I just love saying that, Jean-Claude, Jean-Claude. If I ever change my name, it's going to be Jean-Claude Craig. I like that. And he, uh, he writes down what you did, Corey. He did not give me part of his hamburger. Uh, and he puts a date. He goes, and I review the, this book regularly. Can you, what a psycho. What a psycho. And he's the president of the European Commission. Jean-Claude, burn your book. Amen. Burn your book. Listen, forgiveness, we're going to talk about reconciliation in a moment. Reconciliation and forgiveness are two different things, but you have to forgive. Forgiveness means I'm not going to punch back. I'm going to let it go. I may not be involved with you anymore, but I'm, I am going to forgive you, and I'm going to drop the issue, and I'm going to let it go. You can't be right with God if you don't do that. You cannot have good relationships with people truly if you're keeping a little black book, now most of you don't have a little black book. You have it in your head, don't you? And you just remember every time someone has done you wrong, you've got to burn the book. You've got to do it. Let, let me tell you, this is, this is true. I learned this a long time ago. Let's say this week you write me a letter tell me how bad I am, and you don't sign it. You know what? I will never read it because if you won't sign it, I'm not going to read it. That's not fair, is it? I mean, I could write my wife a letter and tell her all the things, how she's failing me as a wife, but then she'd realize if I didn't sign who did it anyway, correct? That wouldn't be very smart. But that's not fair, so I wouldn't read it. But if you wrote me a letter and you told me you didn't like red and you didn't like my blue jeans and you didn't like my glasses and you didn't like my ears and you didn't like my hair, I would listen to it. I would see what I could do about it. But you know what I got to do with that letter pretty soon? I got to get rid of it. Because if I keep it and review it regularly, all that's going to do is just make me a bitter, messed up person. You've got to forgive people. You've got to forgive people. If you're going to get along, you have to forgive, okay? Now, here's the third thing, and this is a lot harder, and it needs some clarification. Do everything you can, do what you can to reconcile with people if possible. See, reconciliation and forgiveness are two different things. God says, I have to forgive. Reconciliation, you notice I said, if possible. Reconciliation takes two people willing to get right. When should you not reconcile? Okay, let's say you were married, and you were married to someone who, who, who cheated on you consistently, or who physically was abusive, and, and was a dangerous person. I'm not for divorce at all, except in about two or three reasons right there in the Bible. You need to get out of that, and you don't need to come get back with them. Young people, listen to me. If you're dating somebody and they're an idiot, break up with them. 
Isn't that simple? That is really spiritual. I'm going to go home and pray about it. No. If they're goofy and they're dangerous and they're a problem now, it's got, you married people help me. It multiplies when you get married, doesn't it? Well, if they say I do and I get my ring, they'll just become normal. No, they'll become crazier. They become crazier. They don't get better. Right? <laughs> my wife just amen for the first time in 30 years, something I said in the sermon. <laughs> so you break up with them. You love them. You forgive them, but you don't keep dating them. You have a roommate that is a constant problem. Forgive them, love them, move out. And you have an employee you have to fire who's been bad, who's lazy, who cheats, who steals. Love them, forgive them, fire them, wish them well, but don't rehire them. There's times when reconciliation is not intelligent. But what we're talking about today is when people need to reconcile. And what God says, if reconciliation is possible, you and I make sure we're not the ones hindering it. Did you hear what I just said? You make sure that you're not the one hindering reconciliation. I love Romans chapter 12, verse 18. We're using the the New Living Translation from Philippians, but this is the English standard. I think it says it better. If possible, not always possible, so far as it depends on you, it takes two to reconcile. You make sure you're reconcilable. Live peaceable with everyone. Be, Be able to reconcile and to be right with everyone. What God is saying there is you and I need to be the ones who are willing to make the move, to say I'm sorry, to ask for a second chance, to extend a second chance, to to ask for forgiveness, to do what we can to make it right. If they don't accept that, they're a psycho, whatever, let it be. But you make sure, you and I need to make sure that we're willing to do whatever we can do to be reconciled. Very, very, very important. Here's the last thing. Get your heart right. See, this is the fundamental thing. I didn't start with this, but but this is what is pervasive the whole way through. In verse 2, I want to read it one more time. I appeal to Yodia and Santika, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreements. Folks, these ladies may have been Bible scholars. They may have been the best teachers or the best group leaders. They may have been the, the, the most benevolent people. They were obviously laborers and missionaries with Paul. But something was wrong. And I want to tell you this. If you and I consistently have people problems, we've got a heart problem. I said this earlier. I'm going to go over it again. If you've always got to win, if you've always got to be right, if you've always, it's always got to be your way, you're not cool. You've got a heart problem. You've got a heart problem. If you don't care how it affects the church or the team or the family, you don't care how it affects the workplace, you're not laid back. You've got a heart problem. If you look behind you and there's always a trail of controversy and people who are hurt, and, but it's always because you've been misunderstood and, you know, people don't see it your way, you, you have a heart problem. And, and the, the fundamental problem with these two ladies, it wasn't their head knowledge. It wasn't even that they weren't Christians. It's just that they were not Christian people living for God like they should be. 
In Philippians chapter 2, two chapters earlier, listen to what he says. No doubt he was thinking about these women here. He said, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Love one another. Work together with one mind and purpose. You're on the same team. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And boy, verse 5, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. In other words, God says, do everything we can to get along with other people. And it's got to start with our own hearts getting right. I mentioned John Adams and Thomas Jefferson earlier and how those great founding fathers in our country had a terrible split. Well, there was a friend of theirs named Dr. Rush, and there were some other friends who were very troubled by the fact that these two great intellects, these two former presidents, these two signers of the Declaration of Independence, who had been great friends, now hated each other. So he began to work with some other people to bring them back together. And here's the cool thing. They reconciled. They began to correspond with each other and talk to each other. And they they mended their fences and they made things right. And then years later, both of them who'd signed the Declaration of Independence died on July the 4th, several hours apart, and they were friends again. You see, it is possible. It's absolutely possible. But we've got to be who we should be and do what we should do. I have a little granddaughter named Bailey. Riley's little sister, Alicia's little daughter. Bailey, if you've been at church here much, is the one that occasionally will come running up to me up here when she shouldn't be. She slips from grass from her Mimi and her mother. Bailey, uh, Bailey sometimes mispronounces words, which five-year-olds do, and it's always cute. And, and she struggles to say the word forgive. I hope that's not a spiritual thing. <laughs> But she pronounces it re-give. She said, I re-give you. I got to thinking about this, that this week and how really that's a pretty cool theological principle. Because see, for me to get along with people, you to get along with people, we got to do a lot of re-giving, don't we? We got to re-give forgiveness. I've forgiven them 15 times. Got to re-give it 16 we got to re-give a, a second chance, a third chance, a tenth chance. we got to re-give our friendship. we got to re-give our love. we got to re-give that opportunity. Let's go to supper. Let's go to lunch. To mend the relationship, maybe you and maybe I need to do a lot of re-giving. See, it comes back to our heart. And if we're willing to do what God wants us to do. Are you? Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, I hope God has has spoken to your heart. I hope he's grabbed your heart. And I hope you're ready today to make some big changes. If you're not a Christian, or if you're unsure, if your name's written in the book of life, and you want to be sure, pray with me. Pray with me where you're seated. And just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. And Jesus, I accept your God's Son and that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart, Jesus. 
and I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention just for a second. We're going to stand in a minute. When we do, I want to challenge you to respond to God today. Maybe you just prayed and asked Jesus into your heart, or maybe you're ready to do that. When we stand, come today. Talk to one of our ministers. Don't leave this building without being sure that your name's written in the book of life. Maybe you're here today and you'd like to join our church. We would love for you to. If you're coming to make us a, a, even a more a happy and peaceful place, when we stand, you can come and talk to one of our ministers or you can catch us after church and join. We'd love for you to do that. Christian, maybe where you'll be standing or maybe at the altar, you need to get right with God. Quit blaming other people why you can't get along. Look in the mirror. Make a choice that you're going to start re-giving and be the person God wants you to. Maybe you need to make up your mind to some people you're going to call this afternoon and work to start restoring those relationships. Let's stand. You come now as God leads you.